When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, Kansas City hired Lloyd Wells, who became the first black scout in pro football history. His scouting of HBCU talent helped the Chiefs win Super Bowl IV in 1969. In 1967, the Pittsburgh Steelers Hiring of the second black scout in NFL history led them to a dynasty. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, let's get started. NFL historians, you know what? This show is for you, but it's not for know-it-alls. Just keep scrolling, push the stop button, and find something else to listen to if you already know all this stuff, okay? This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to enlighten, but please correct me if I'm wrong. I am always here and willing to learn. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us out on bellyupsports.com. You can catch my show as well as many, many others. Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all of those great podcasting platforms. We continue our journey honoring the scouts and then some GMs that we know in NFL history. We got a lot to get to, so rundown time, kick the music. Week 10, Thursday Night Football. NFL, the Dolphins, the Dolphins, the Dolphins hosting the Ravens down double digits in the second half for the fourth game of the season. Baltimore has a nine play, 99 yard touchdown drive, 35 yards by penalty. You had to know that Baltimore was going to win that game again, right? Miami, they couldn't run the football. And you're probably thinking Miami's going to go three and out. They're going to punt the football back to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are going to win this game. 
The Ravens already had the most comeback wins this season from double digits in pro football. Okay, three games this year they've come back. Thought it was going to happen again. Not this week. Their luck, their luck finally ran out. Baltimore blew coverage. Miami receiver Albert Wilson, he had that 64-yard reception that gave Miami a first and goal. Tua keeps for a touchdown. Boom, bang, pow. Dolphins win the game. And that's it. Falcons at Cowboys. It only took a week for Dak to get back in the group. Not too much to say about this one. The Falcons got the brakes beat off them. 43-3, was that the score? And, uh, Matt Ryan, he only completed nine package, uh, passes the entire game. Thank God I have the Dallas defense on fantasy. Yeah, I, I blew two teams out this week in fantasy. So I was looking good. I was happy. Feeling it. Feeling it. But I also had Kyle Pitts. He had at least 10 points. I'll take it. All right. So I always hate going to games when the Stars weren't playing. So the Saints, they came here to Tennessee to visit the Titans. And even without Alvin Kamara, as well as Derrick Henry, two of the best backs in the league, right? It was still a really good game to watch. Yeah, we know about the penalties. It evened out. Okay, the rough and the passer. I'm losing mad because <laughs> I was rooting for the Titans. And I know Saints fans, they were they were a little ticked at that. But, I mean, you know, I had to ask my dad what he thought about that. He was at the game. My father went to the game. Um, but, look, the Titans right now, they're the best team in the AFC. Six straight wins. I think they're, what, 7-0 against playoff teams from last season. They're getting it done. Now, they better watch out. Look, they know what's coming. They have the lowly Jaguars in division. I say they lose to the Jaguars and they turn around and wake up against the Houston Texans after that. What do y'all say? I mean, that's just me. That's just me. Okay, so the Jacksonville Jaguars, speaking of the lowly Jags, they go to visit the other division rival of the Titans, the Indianapolis Colts. Look, it was a 23-17 win for the Colts, and it came down to what a fumble, I think, at the towards the end. Uh, I didn't watch the game exclusively, but I mean, there's a reason why teams are bad, and when they get players that will help them, you get the Trevor Lawrence's and you know guys like that. Whether it's through the draft or free agency, you get better, right? You make improvements, and this team is starting to. Uh, I get that they're improving ever so slightly or you know with Urban Meyer and again I do not expect this guy to stick around very long um look the Colts got back to 500 they're five and five now and the Jags they're, they're bad and they're going to remain bad until they continue to filter out the bad players and filter in more good ones and it's going to really take uh some some good coaching that's the only way but at least they're showing some fight that's all i can really say about that game they are showing some fight they're coming up short they do have some talented guys i like lavisca chanel and i do like uh robinson uh the running back for for the jacks i really like marvin jones and then having uh trevor lawrence there obviously but they 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 are some they are they're they're ways away from competing but you never know. They, they need more pieces, man. That's all I can say about that game. Look. All right. Cleveland. Cleveland. Y'all got whooped. And, yes, Miles Garrett told on your defensive coordinator. You don't make adjustments. The Cleveland Browns do not make adjustments on defense. That's basically what Miles Garrett said after the game. 
Belichick don't play that. You have to be more prepared if you're going to play a Bill Belichick team. I don't care if if it's at Gillette Stadium or in Cleveland or on the moon. It doesn't matter. You have to be ready. And if that, well, obviously that guy probably needs to be moved forward. I don't know Joe Woods that well. He is the defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. Y'all probably need to make some adjustments, bro. I'm just trying to say I'm trying to tell you. And then Patriots quarterback Mac Jones, he'll probably win rookie of the year. And I had no idea Jacoby Myers had never scored a touchdown in the league. I did not know that. That was great seeing the literally the entire sideline run over there to celebrate his touchdown. That's great. Um, that was great. It was great to see that. The Bills, they went to the Jets and they continued to feast on the week. Yes, this time it was the Jets. New York, their quarterback hero, Mike White, who I heard said um, well, about a week or so ago that he should have been the first pick. Was that true? I, I still haven't heard it, but uh, like audibly from Mike White. But if he said that, use a fool. You, you shouldn't say stuff like that. He threw four picks to the Bills, and that helps. It doesn't help the Jets, though. I need the Bills to beat someone, though, that will actually punch back. All right. Lions at the Steelers. Yes, I have to talk about it. I spent last show calling out my fellas, and my fellas, Sid and Carlos, they had to come back at me. Of course, Sid was the first one to text me <laughs> after the game was over with, with two big old... Uh, you know, two big old eyes, uh, the, the eye emoji. Uh, Detroit? Detroit? Are you serious? Look, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I got plenty of flack. And I deservingly so. I, oh, I, I told you I don't hate the Cowboys, but look, I had to say something. Um, I feel like nobody wanted to win that game, even though it was raining sideways, but there are no excuses. The Lions, they came in clearly dangerous. They do not have a care in the world because they haven't won a game. They're trying to win a game. And they'll do any and everything to win. They get paid too. I tell y'all that. Yes, don't be surprised if a team that's supposed this favorite, if they lose the game, even if it's a team that has that is undefeated. We only have a handful of undefeated uh, or defeated, defeated teams. A team that has not won a game. We have a handful of teams that have not won games before. We've had a lot of 1-15. Two and 14. Who was those two, one, three teams that have lost those games? I mean, they're not all teams that stink. Some of them were actually good teams they beat. I don't care if it was at the end of the season or somewhere at the beginning of the middle. They get paid too. Pittsburgh, you were at home. I, 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 can't, I can't vouch for that. And I know Big Ben was out because of COVID, but the defense, y'all had to play a little bit better. And it wasn't terrible. Actually, you know what? I have to take that back somewhat. I mean, I can't take words, put them back in my mouth. But I mean, the defense, it was a 16-16 game, right? And they went into overtime, and it ended in a tie. And it was terrible. It was whack. Um, Fairmouth, he fumbled away the chance for us to actually win the game. I, what else can I say? What else can I say? Detroit, though, still a little bit too much of a tease, a tie. <laughs> The last time the Washington football team and the Buccaneers got together was only a couple of months ago. Taylor Heineke's first start, the wild card playoff game that they barely lost, like what, 31 to 23? They fought against the, the eventual Super Bowl champions now. Um, 
But that 19 play 80 yard drive that consumed 10 minutes and 26 seconds at the end of the game, the longest drive of the end of in the NFL this season until last night. They went for it on fourth down to put it away. They hand the football off to Gibson, and Gibson scores that touchdown. And they they beat they beat the defending champs. That's two straight that the Buccaneers have lost. So, but I don't know why y'all are acting surprised about the Buccaneers defense. It hadn't been that great. And they weren't that great last year, if you really want to be honest. A majority of the season, they weren't that special. It wasn't until the postseason that that D really turned it on towards the end of the season going into the postseason. They were kind of a, uh, I don't even remember the numbers. I'm going to be honest with you. Right off the top of my I normally have that stuff locked, loaded, and ready to spew. But they were not that special last year. Yes, they had defensive pieces, but they didn't turn it on until the end of the year. So Tom Brady, he obviously did not want any part of that press conference afterwards. And Bruce Arians called out his called his football team stupid. And he called out Brady, who just continues to turn the football over. It is a long season still. Still is. Cam Newton, I was so glad to see him back in that helmet. In his post-game presser, what does he say? This time last week, I was eating a bowl of cereal. <laughs> but now he comes in. Wasn't the starter. They're preparing him to start. Yes, they are preparing him to start this week. Um, he throws a touchdown and he runs for a touchdown. I'm back. There he is. I was just glad to see him. Just so happy to see him. Cardinals, ah, y'all look like the Cardinals of old on Sunday. But, look. Hold out your starting quarterback. Let that ankle heal up. The Minnesota Vikings, they needed to win on Sunday. Their record now is 4-5. and five. I did read on ESPN.com that five losses that they have this season are by a combined 18 points. They're losing close games. They've also won close games, too. Here's the point differential. Except for that blowout win against the uh, Seattle Seahawks week three, this is their point differential in all of their games except for that game. Three, one, seven, two, six, four, three, and then they won 27 to 20 against the Chargers in LA on Sunday. They have to find a way to get over the top. All right, Kirk Cousins, he has to be more consistent. I understand, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. He's not. He just gets a little afraid of uh, you know being on the stage when everybody's looking at him. Turn around, watch him. Don't look at him when he's doing his thing. As long as y'all just Vikings fans, just turn turn your backs to the game, and he'll probably perform a lot better. <laughs> he's got great receivers. He's got uh, Thielen and Jefferson. He's got Dalvin Cook. Uh, the defense isn't what it was back when they went to the NFC Championship game, but you know, I, look, when they went deep in the playoffs, uh, you know, it, it's it's far from that. Um, and look, right now, they, going into Sunday, they were missing six players because of COVID. The Chargers, they're just as talented on both sides of the ball. But this team goes as Justin Herbert goes. Anytime that kid throws a pick I saw on Sunday, even one, they lose. Hmm. Eagles at Broncos, so proud of Devontae Smith, one of my favorite receivers in college and coming out of the draft. Um as long as Philly plays away games, though, they'll win. All four of their W's have come on the road. Broncos, y'all got to get better. There's a big difference when Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are at quarterback. 
right? Well, rust, rust, and more rust. Neither quarterback threw a touchdown pass. There are three picks between the both of them, two by Russell Wilson, but the Packers did just enough. They lost Aaron Jones. I think he's going to be gone, what, one to two weeks with a sprained MCL. Uh, Green Bay won the game 17 to nothing. Seattle shut out for the first time in 10 years. Sunday night, you had the Chiefs going into the Raiders. I had questions going into this game. How many points could the Chiefs actually score? Could Mahomes not turn over the football? Could the Kansas City defense get some stops? You know, what was going to happen? Go up, check, check, and check. 42 points and only one turnover. I believe it was Tyreek Hill. He fumbled the football, but it didn't really matter. Uh, I've said it before. This was the game that I wanted to see Kansas City play and also play against the Raiders because if they beat them, they can win the division. The Chiefs continue to climb out of the AFC West cellar. And Mahomes sent the Raiders fans to the slot machines early after his fifth touchdown pass. Hmm. Monday Night Football, Rams at 49ers. Look, I don't know if it was just me, but I'm sure y'all saw that piece of paper up under Susie Colbert's boot. I want to reach to the television and guess, ah, somebody get that piece of paper. Somebody get it. Anyway, two teams who may be on two completely different spectrums, right? This was last night. This Tuesday today, right? The 49ers have a single win at home in the last year, and they're 3-5 this year. The Rams, on the other hand, they're 7-2. They're looking like one of the best teams in the NFC, whether it's the Cardinals or the Rams. I expect the Rams to be in the Super Bowl. And not only that, they go out and they add players like Von Miller, and then they signed OBJ last uh, Thursday. Uh, again, the classic setup. They're talking about OBJ and everything he went through from the time he was drafted, and then they're talking about Von Miller and the, how many sacks him and, and um, Aaron Donald have. They're the two sack kings uh, over the last you know couple of years. Uh, and Miller since, what, 2011. Uh, and then Les Snead, the GM for the Rams, is on the sideline, you know, talking it up. They have the, uh, with ESPN, and then they have, um, what was it, the, the sit-down interview with the quarterback. They're, they're talking with Matt Stafford, the classic setup. And then an 18-play, 93-yard drive, 11 minutes and three seconds in the first drive of the game for the San Francisco 49ers. If that didn't tell you what was going to happen the rest of the game, which, I mean, you don't necessarily trust that. But after they won that game 31-10, to 10, yeah, all that stuff with the Rams, pumping them up, pumping them up, pumping them up, and then they lose. Classic setup. It happens every time, every time. It's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, so that puts a ball in week 10 as we head into week 11. Uh, also, prayers up. For uh, Mr. Defensive End Extraordinaire for the Washington football team, Chase Young, he's gone with a uh, torn ACL. And I did see that, oh, man, Joey Bosa for the Chargers, he's going to be out because of COVID. Him and another player uh, that was named. Wow. And hopefully the Steelers get Big Ben back. Anyway, coming up next, the state of pro football from 1922 to 1969. When it came to minority play, 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Okay, here's the setup. From the NFL's inception, all right, in 1922, there had been very few minorities or African Americans that were allowed to play in the league. From 1933 to 1946, blacks and minorities alike were blackballed from the league. Y'all have heard me say that several times. In 1946, the All-American Football Conference began play, or the AAFC, which was the umpteenth professional football league to start play until it became defunct by 1950. Coach Paul Brown of the Cleveland Browns had brought in African-American players like Marion Motley and Bill Willis. Others followed suit with players like Emlyn Tunnel, you know, New York Giants, Kenny Washington, Woody Stroh, Joe Perry, all the way up until 1962, the Washington football team was the only NFL team that didn't have a single black player because of their, frankly, racist owner, George Preston Marshall. But keep in mind, a majority of these players, Tunnel, Washington, and Strode, they went to colleges like Iowa and UCLA, major schools. The first HBCU player that's historically black college for the uninitiated to play in the NFL was Tank Younger, who was a halfback that signed as an undrafted free agent with the Los Angeles Rams in 1949. And it was actually, though, Jack Spinks of Alcorn State, who was the first black player drafted in league history when he was selected by none other than the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1952. So that gives you an idea as far as the timeline with HBCU athletes and the NFL. Now, last week, we talked about Lloyd Wells, who was a journalist turned pro scout by the Kansas City Chiefs. He had built a reputation in fame in his hometown of Houston, Texas, as being a guy who was connected with people. All right. He had a relationship with HBCU athletes and athletes in general, for that matter. I mean, he was a close confidant of Muhammad Ali, for example. He was the first man to be able, really, to go on HBCU black college campuses on a regular and get the talent that was being overlooked otherwise by the NFL. The Kansas City squad, who made it to the two of the first four Super Bowls, by the way, winning it all in 1969 with a team that had most, the, the most, that is, black starters in league history. Not to mention a roster that had the most HBCU players on it with 13. 13 and the man uh, all of those guys that he scouted were eight eight of them were all pros and then four future hall of famers that's a serious resume you know you had guys like otis taylor and willie lanier buck buchanan right one thing that just keeps percolating in my mind though uh, a statement that was made by Lamar Hunt in doing my research is that he basically was quoted as saying that he started bringing in African-American players. Yes, but he wasn't trying to break down barriers or basically change the way things 
were as far as racial lines were concerned. He was definitely doing it because those players were talented. And he did give them an opportunity. I appreciate that. The first time that I read that last week, I couldn't help but think about Alabama head coach Bear Bryant. It wasn't until USC beat Alabama's head in with an African-American running back named Sam Cunningham. Yes, Randall Cunningham's brother, the quarterback's brother, who did start. That's when he started recruiting black players. SEC didn't have black players yet, right? You know, I mean, he, well, as far as Alabama, he, they, they did not want to put black players in the lineup. Well, I mean, Sam Cunningham changed all of that. Now, same thing. It wasn't so much that he was. It was the right thing to do, give opportunities, or that he was trying to break down barriers. Uh, but he saw an opportunity to bring in better players. Keep this in mind. You have people now, as well as then, who grew up with that ignorant teaching that they are superior and minorities are inferior, which leads you to think that they can't do something better than you. And I think those opportunities that were given to these African-American and minority athletes, they opened up some relationships. I remember watching America's game. First time I saw you know, both of these, it was the one on, I believe it was the Super Bowl one, the 67, yeah, no, the 66 Green Bay Packers. And then the other one was the 69 Chiefs. And the first one was with Bill Curry. He's talking about Willie Davis because Bill Curry, he said straight up, look, I came from Alabama and I grew up and my people were teaching me that blacks were inferior and we were superior. And I knew, he said, I knew in the back of my mind there had to be something wrong with that. And then when he goes and he's playing with all of these black athletes that Vince Lombardi had on his Green Bay teams, there was nothing uh, that, that started to change, obviously, his mentality about and his attitude towards blacks. And it was the same thing with Willie Lanier and Jim Lynch. Jim Lynch, if you don't know who he is, he was a linebacker along with Willie Lanier. Lanier, with the Kansas City Chiefs, became the first black middle linebacker in NFL history. Didn't nobody want, I told you about that, middle linebacker thing, just like the quarterback. Middle linebacker, thinking man's position. Quarterback, thinking man's position. They didn't want blacks playing those positions. You could be a receiver. You could be a defensive lineman. You could be a defensive back. You know, some of those positions that it doesn't require you to think so much. You could be a running back. They didn't want you in the thinking man's position, calling plays and things like that. The proof is in the pudding, okay? And him and, and uh, Lanier and Lynch, they ended up being the best of friends. So, you know, they had their, uh, their the racial differences were there, but they had a different relationship other than what the outside world wanted to wanted them to have. You know what I mean? Because some of them said, oh my God, you know, this black guy's taking a white man's job. And that was the thinking. And I'm not, and I can't vouch for all of the team because I'm sure that there were still some guys on those teams. I'm I'm positive that there were other teammates on those squads who still thought lesser of African-Americans or whatever minority. It's amazing to me that Joe Cap ended up being the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, who the Chiefs beat in that Super Bowl. Cap was Mexican-American. He was a Latino. You know what I mean? So I didn't know that until a couple of months ago. And that's amazing to me. But you might, you just might have with those situations, you just might have those with the thought of 
My people are, quote, my people are wrong for that. All right. And there are plenty of those that turn themselves around. And then there's those who are still stuck in that archaic evil mentality. I'll leave that right there. But I must say this, Lamar Hunt, you know, as far as he's concerned, not everybody opens a door is open it, opening that door because they like or agree with you. Sometimes it's because it'll be to their benefit. Sometimes it's because it's the right thing to do and they grow a conscience. Not every door is open because they like you. Not every door is open because they agree. So the 1960s, there were a time of racial tension and also civil rights movements where things were trying to change. The NFL began to follow suit. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. In 1933, the Pittsburgh Steelers were born. They were dumpster juice. They were bad. From 1933 to 1969, only seven winning seasons and zero playoff wins. Owner Art Rooney would hire Baltimore Colts defensive coordinator Chuck Noll in 1969. But there was another hire that would tip the scales, bringing in top talent to a team that was starving for players. Yeah, I'm sure most of you are very familiar about the success of the Steelers dynasty of the 1970s. 72, they won their first playoff game. You might know that game I'm talking about, the Immaculate Reception. Pittsburgh beat Oakland off of Franco Harris's shoestring catch, right? In 1974, Pittsburgh won their first, four, first of four championships in the 70s for that dynasty. And they became the only team to go back-to-back -back twice, 74-75. 78 and 1979 a host of pro football hall of famers which included the greatest single draft in nfl history in 1974 how did they get there bill nunn jr not to be confused with his son bill nunn the third who was an actor in movies such as do the right thing radio raheem y'all remember him and new york new jack city new york new jack city the dada man right born and raised in pittsburgh pennsylvania a graduate of West Virginia State, was a pretty good basketball player and was actually a teammate of Chuck Cooper, who was the first black player drafted into the NBA, and Earl Lloyd, the first black player to actually play in an NBA game. He went into journalism, just like Lloyd. He went into journalism, working with his father at the Pittsburgh Courier, which is described as one of the most influential black publications in America at the time. Nunn started off as a sports writer. He moved all the way up to becoming the managing editor of the Courier after his father retired in the, in the 1960s. But just like Lloyd Wells, Nunn's covering of sports connected him to HBCUs. Yes, he covered the big athletes of the times, Jackie Robinson, the Muhammad Ali's, etc. But he covered black college football, traveling to games all over the place. The Courier was known for their black All-American team, a tradition that lasted from 1950 to 1974. 
and players wanted to be on that list. So when you have a guy that's traveling to these games, covering these athletes, he obviously knows what greatness looks like. The you know the the college athletes as well as the pros, pros, right? So after all, he, he well, it's, the guy had an eye for talent, and he was one that was making decisions on all those All-American teams. So the list that he made out, that All-American list, shed light on the great players from HBCUs. The talent that was and would have been overlooked by the NFL. Remember, the AFL really became the first league professionally to look at HBCU athletes. It was rare that the NFL did this. We gave you a short list of names earlier. It's to be noted that Bill Nunn was critical of the league for their handling of HBCU athletes. The Steelers owner, Art Rooney, all right, Art Rooney Sr., okay, he would bring this guy in to join the Steelers and their, uh, their personnel department, to be exact. And that personnel department was actually headed up by his son, Art Jr. He was hired on part-time in 1967, and he still worked at the Courier and did his thing with the Steelers as well. But in 1969, Pittsburgh hired Baltimore defensive coordinator Chuck Knoll. At the same time, Bill Nunn was promoted to be a full-time scout, the second African-American scout in NFL history. Again, just like Lloyd Wells before him, it was a big-time hire because of the rarity. There were hardly any scouts at all. I will put this back in your minds from last week. It was an industry that was really getting started, black or white, so there was a progression that was being made in a growing field. We're getting close to the merger in 1970, and the Steelers hired Noel and Nunn to help change things around. Let's look at how they did it. Next. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. By 1974, the Pittsburgh Steelers had compiled a team that would go on to Super Bowl IX, and they faced off against none other than the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings always seem to keep coming up, don't they? Minnesota was making their third trip to the Super Bowl in the first nine years of the game, and they would leave 0-3 after their 16-6 loss to Pittsburgh at Tulane Stadium in New Orleans. Here's what I don't want to do. Just make it all about HBCUs, right? Bill Nunn brought in more than just HBCU talent, but it is to be noted that this is what he was known for in the beginning. The Steelers had built this team the old-fashioned way, through the draft. With the help of Bill Nunn, here's what his resume looks like. 1969, Joe Green out of Texas State. Although Noel, as a D coordinator in 68 with the Colts, he was already aware of this guy. Uh, Joe Green and he was looking at picking him anyway but it does help 
We have a guy like Bill Nunn in your pocket as well. You have other players like Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Jack Helm, JT Thomas, Rocky Blyer. All these players, they came from these bigger colleges. Terry Bradshaw from Louisiana Tech. Franco Harris and Jack Helm, they came from Penn State. JT Thomas, he was out of Florida State. And Rocky Blyer, Notre Dame. Mel Blount, he came out of Southern. HBCU, third round. And it was funny, I read a story um, on Steelers.com about how Chuck Noll and Bill Nunn actually had a disagreement. Because if anyone remembers Mel Blount, Blount was a 6'4 cornerback. 6'4. How many cornerbacks you know that are 6'4? None thought he would be better as a safety. Noel said the guy could play cornerback. And he's like, oh, bump and run, which that was what he was known for. And he had a Hall of Fame career because of it. And he was a great cover corner, even at 6'4. And you find that kind of talent. And then you have some other guys. Like I said, it wasn't just HBCU talent. Mike Wagner out of, uh, yes, he was Caucasian. 11th round out of Western Illinois, right? Mike, uh, Dwight White, East Texas State. Ernie Holmes, Texas Southern. L.C. Greenwood out of Arkansas A.M.N. I think it's Arkansas Pine Bluff now. Joe Gilliam, he was drafted in 72 out of T.S.U. That's Tennessee State University. Go Blue. Uh, and, and I've also seen something else in the the, the, the way that Art Rooney Jr., Bill Nunn, and Chuck Noll worked, it wasn't so much about color with them. And I did not know that during the draft, they actually used dots to show who was black and who was white. That was interesting. You know what I mean? Because I, I guess they didn't, they, they didn't have those profile, you know, pictures on everybody, right? And, you know, that's... That's kind of the way that they did things back then. Uh, but then came the 1974 draft. In the first five rounds, without a third round pick, they got Lynn Swan, Hall of Famer, out of USC. Jack Lambert, out of Kent State. John Stallworth and Mike Webster. Four Hall of Famers in one draft. I mean, you don't do that. That's not normal. That is not normal. And I think that the the, the big prize, because like I said, Nunn wasn't the only scout, but he was one of the scouts, right, in that personnel department. I have a picture in my phone of them sitting around the table. And it's like, during the draft, I'm like, yeah, they had plenty of people, but Nunn was so respected. And he knew how to get certain players, and it, it was just a different way and in another mind as well as thought process that went behind him making selections of players and even looking at tape and things like that but none was really really instrumental in bringing in this draft class and the one guy that was i believe was the key was john starworth everybody knew who lynn swan was lynn swan could jump out of a building he was just 5'11 which made him really special. He was a superior athlete uh, as a wide receiver. But Swan was out of USC, and he was an All-American. Nobody knew about John Starworth out of Alabama A&M. They did not know about John Starworth. And I'm going to reference this. According to the undefeated.com, Kimberly A. Martin wrote a very good article on that website. 
And she wrote the article about Bill Nunn and recounts a story that was told by one of his friends, former NFL lineman turned scout uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. As a matter of fact, John Wooden about the film on John Stallworth. And I read this quote, Bill Nunn goes into Alabama A&M and he takes all of the film on John Stallworth and he tells the coach, I'm going to copy the film and send it to the other scouts, said Wooten, retelling the most infamous Nunn tale of all. And Wooten says that to this day, he has never sent us a copy of any of those tapes to this day. He knew what he had. I'm not going to give you that. If I got my hands on that, I'm not giving that up. And you know what? If you go back and you look at that draft, the Dallas Cowboys were right behind Pittsburgh with that pick. Now, they had already drafted Swan. And matter of fact, they were going to draft John Stott. No, actually, they were going to draft Lynn Swan. They were right behind the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the Steelers not only got Lynn Swan in front of Dallas, they hid John Stallworth from them as well. Nobody had to film on Stallworth. They draft this man. And truth be told, even though both of them are in the Hall of Fame, Stallworth actually turned out to be the better receiver, and he actually had a longer career, if you don't know. Swan was more of a, just to be honest with you, the guy from the Truly commercials, the Truly Hard Seltzer uh, for the Patriots, Julian Edelman. Yeah, uh, he had more of a Julian Edelman type career, which, I mean, passing wasn't that big of a thing back then. Not until 78 when they took the bumper run away and had the five-yard rule that stuff start to open up. But Swan never had a thousand-yard season. I think the most he ever had was like 800-some-odd yards, and I think he scored 11 touchdowns one year. Starworth was a thousand-yard guy. He had some 1,300-yard season. I think he even he played, what, a whole... 13, 14 years, I believe, with the Steelers. I don't think he retired until like 1988. Swan, on the other hand, played eight years, had to retire because of concussion issues in 1982. They were both great, but that guy right there, Stallworth, not only, I mean, Swan won a, won an MVP, Stallworth saved their bacon in the last Super Bowl that they won, the Super Bowl 14 against the Rams. He caught three passes, but they went for well over 100 some odd yards, and the last one was... The, the one that broke the Rams back and put them away for good. So you had some talented guys, and guess who got them? Yes, Bill Nunn. Bill Nunn was elected to the Black College Football Hall of Fame in 2010, a part of the inaugural first class, the inaugural class. And no doubt, you know, Lloyd Wells had an impact on the Pittsburgh Steelers hiring of Bill Nunn. Pittsburgh always seems to be at the forefront of these opportunities. After all, the franchise was the first to draft an, uh, an HBCU player. They were second to bring in a full-time black scout. And then there's the Rooney Rule, which I understand some may hate, and you shouldn't have to have a rule like that. But at least it's putting focus on trying to get minorities hired, men and women. Speaking of scout, scouts, after Joe Green retired, he became a, a Steelers scout. I can't talk right now. The letter high. Uh, even after he retired, he became a Steelers scout. I've talked about how there are scouts that should be in the Hall of Fame. Eddie Cotto, I believe he should be in there. Lloyd Wells, I think that he should be in there. But guess who got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year? Yes, this class, this past 2021, if you keep up, yeah, it was Bill Nunn. He was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. And not only was he 
uh, the first African-American contributor inducted into the Hall, but he is also the first scout to be in the Hall of Fame. That's special, and it shows the impact that he had on the Steelers franchise as well as the league. Uh, he passed away in 2014. As a matter of fact, I did read another story of the day, um, well, leading up to it, but well, the days leading up to it, two weeks before he passed away, he actually suffered a stroke there at the Steelers facility. He was kind of semi-retired, still working with the Steelers at the time, and he was 89 when he passed away. He's still showing up to the facility, sitting in the meetings, the scouting meetings, and Kevin Colbert, who is the current, I believe, the, the current GM, um, he, he was talking about he, they seen him slumped over in a chair, and he had his papers in his hand. And they looked back a couple minutes later, and he, he slumped uh, uh, in the chair even more. He suffered a stroke. And so he, he had passed away uh, two weeks later at, in the hospital because of complications from that beautiful moment um, seeing uh, Mr. Baker, David Baker, <laughs> to be exact, uh, who, who's stepping down as uh, the man of the Hall of Fame. It was beautiful. I watched him, you know, call his uh, his daughter, um, uh, Bill Nunn's daughter, and tell him, hey, yeah, he's in. It wasn't no door knock for him. So, uh, and, and it was a beautiful moment seeing that and, and the, the impact that you see that he had on that Steelers organization. Um, again, it was just, it was just beautiful. So, yeah, he had uh, a lot uh, that he did that he was that made him worthy of being a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Um, since then, though, it, it, you know, as far as the HBCUs, the NFL has fell behind. They did. They fell behind the HBCU push uh, as a majority of the stars for both the Pittsburgh Steelers as well as the '69 Kansas City Chiefs. They were all led by all pros and Hall of Famers that came from black colleges. Out of 318 Pro Football Hall of Famers, 30 went to historically black colleges. What does that equal? They can play too. And they still can. They still can. Yet, not everybody on this list is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But here's the list. Deacon Jones, South Carolina State. And Mississippi Valley State. Willie Lanier, Morgan State. Buck Buchanan, Grambling, Ken Houston, Prairie View, AM. Larry Little went to Bethune Cookman. Rayfield Wright, Fort Valley State. Robert James from Fisk, right here in Nashville. Walter Payton, Jackson State. Richard Dent, Tennessee State University. Jerry Rice, Mississippi Valley State. Aaron McNair, Steve McNair, Alcorn State. Mac Michael Strahan, yeah, y'all love watching him um, on Good Morning America. But he went to Texas Southern as well as being a Pro Football Hall of Fame defensive lineman for the for the New York Giants. Arneas Williams, Southern. Nate Newton, Florida A&M. Darius Leonard and Tariq Cohen, they still play now. South Carolina State and North Carolina A&T. Unfortunately, the NFL has since gone backwards. When you include those two last players, they've gone backwards with the selection of HBCU players in the draft. According to Wally Pitt of HBCUGameDay.com, the 2021 draft marked the ninth time since the year 2000, the ninth time that there were zero HBCU players selected in the NFL draft. I'm reading a book courtesy of my buddy Ken Johnson, the former Bills pass rusher. It's called Hard Road to Glory, the African-American Athlete in Pro Football. And in it, I read one point in the book that one-time Florida A&M coach, head coach Jake Gaither, 
said that, quote, it's integration hurting us. <laughs> That's crazy. But it, I mean, I see that. You could really see it now. Basically saying that more blacks were choosing to attend white schools. Gaither coached Florida AM from 1949, excuse me, 45, 1945 to 1969. And he definitely saw the change. I'm praying that former NFL stars such as Deion Sanders, Coach Prime at Jackson State, while he's sitting in a wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair from his foot surgery on the sidelines. Uh, Eddie George, TSU, and Tyrone Wheatley at Morgan State. I hope they can help draw more high-profile athletes to those HBCUs. Since major colleges and universities have opened up their doors to minority athletes freely since then. You know, yeah, they're not really going to those schools anymore, right? You know, because they, I don't know why. Uh, not totally why, but really, I guess I kind of know why. Shine, the shine factor, the high-profile factor. Since, you know, since they've opened up those doors freely, that's where most of them will go. They're going to go to Michigan State, Alabama, and all those schools. So, I mean, that wasn't the problem back in the, uh, not the same problem that it was in the 20s and 50s and 60s. I can't blame them. You know, if I had an offer to Alabama or Michigan, Notre Dame or USC, it's probably where I would go. But that does not mean I couldn't choose to play at Jackson State, Southern, or Grambling. Let's get to these references. That's a wrap. Thanks to HBCUGameDay.com, article by Wally Pitt. Steelers.com, two things. Their historical bio on Bill Nunn, as well as Bob Labriola. <laughs> Labriola on lessons Nunn taught and learned. This is dated August 28, 2020. Theundefeated.com, the late Bill Nunn, a trailblazer, an icon, a scouting savant by Kimberly A. Martin. Also, BlackCollegeFootballHallOfFame.org. 247sports.com, the first black player in history of major college football programs by Jordan James. The books, the books this time. America's Game, the NFL at 100, co-authored by Randy O. Williams and Jerry Rice. Also, A Hard Road to Glory, the black athlete in pro football. Arthur is Arthur Ashe, the former tennis player. So we're closing this thing up. It's been the Behind the Mic podcast. Your host, Michael Neal Jr. Presented by Belio Sports. Belio Sports Podcast Network is where you'll find us. All of our shows, you can check them out, as well as our writers, BelioSports.com. Check us out. Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You can check us out on all those major platforms, as well as YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show or I will find your house out. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.